After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethlehem and Bethany the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Perfect. Right to there. Imagine being there that day, huh? That would have been pretty, pretty amazing. People throwing palm branches down, throwing cloaks on the road, some people being excited, some people being angry about what was happening, but just like boldness. Just Jesus has finally come to that moment where he's ready to go public with his messiahship, with his kingship. Everything before this has been preparation. It's finally arrived, the last week of his life and ministry here on earth, before his death, before his resurrection. Like, it's come to that point. So he's like, all right, guys, it's time. And this is what that moment looked like. What stands out to you as Nicole reads it? What were the things that maybe you loved? Or what are the things that you thought, wow, if you could picture yourself there, help us paint a picture. What do you think from this moment in time, this pivotal moment in the history of our, of our world? Yeah. 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 Has anybody here been there? Been to Israel, walked on this road? Andy, you have. My mom has. Dad was reminding me of that. He's like, Mom, Nancy walked on that road, that same road. So some of us have traveled, some of us, you can picture. And, and what Andy's saying, like thinking, this is full visibility. And so many times up to this moment, she's like, nah, it's not the right time. This is the full go. This is it. There's no more holding back. This is just reveal who he is to the world. Just proclaim Jesus is Lord. In the full sight of all the Romans, in the full sight of all the religious leaders, in the full sight of all the crowds, at the festival time, Passover festival, it's packed with people. And there's this parade in Jesus' honor with people shouting. What else? Did anything else stand out to you? Anything else coming to your mind as we read this? Yeah, Sally. Nothing profound, but, mm -hmm. you know, he says, I tell you yeah yeah he wasn't going to take no for an answer this was the moment so even if his disciples weren't going to it was going to happen this is going down today and it's like all right buckle up guys <laughs> you've been preparing for this for three years this is the moment there is no stopping this yeah I love it yeah mm-hmm 
Pharisees who know their scripture and like they're waiting for the king, but they're sort of the, this is not their, the king. Mm. They're treating him like a king in a very weird way, like humble on a donkey. Mm. But they're, they're telling him like, you've got to be quiet. They're, they're saying heresy. And they're saying, no, this like, if they're quiet, then somebody would like, this is the king. Mm-hmm. Like putting Andy on a donkey and parading him down Main Street in Taunton. Like, the Messiah has come! People are like, I don't think it's him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but I mean, he's a great guy, but I'm not sure. <laughs> Which reminds me, maybe we should do this week one at the center. Maybe not with Andy on the donkey, but what if I told you I just had a great idea? First week down in Taunton, we are going to go up and down the street saying, Jesus is king. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And we'll make banners and we'll put our coats on the ground for the cars to drive over. And who wants to volunteer for that? (laughs) All right. We got three or four brave and scared volunteers. The rest are silent. The rest are hoping it is the stones because they don't want it to be them. But when we put this in a little bit of perspective, I'm going to read another statement by Jesus. We're not going to turn to it, but listen in Luke 9, 26 and hear this. Because this is what I want to talk about this morning most of all. This is what Jesus said. Whoever is ashamed of me. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So for all of us scaredy cats, we better not let our nervousness turn into shame. You do not have permission to be embarrassed about Jesus. Do not have permission to be afraid of being public and bold about him. He doesn't give us that option. So as much as I'm kind of like joking, I mean, I think I'm joking. We'll find out when we get there. You'll find out that first Sunday for any of you who are brave enough to come. I think I'm joking. Um, But what would be wrong with just walking up and down the streets and saying Jesus is Lord? Is that a sin? Is that a crime? Are we breaking a rule or a law? No, but it's just so far out of our comfort zone. and, And that's what our problem is so much of our time, our comfort zone. It's our problem. It's not a safe place. It's our problem. And so I think it was a problem for the disciples on this day too. And that's why he told them, you have to just obey me in this. It's time to go public. It's time to speak out. And I'm sure there are many of them when he said, guess what we're going to do today, guys? We're going to walk up and down the streets and you're going to proclaim that I am the Lord. They're people like we're people, right? So I'm sure they felt the same things that we feel when we anticipate, oh, we have to actually do that? It's been nice being behind the scenes, playing it low key and keeping things small and hidden. And there was a time for that. There was, there were years of that with Jesus and his disciples. But he said, this is not that moment. It's like a deciding moment, a decisive moment, a culminating moment. So if and when we do our parade and we make our little banners and we shout Jesus is Lord, uh, don't be sick that day. Don't have a family conflict that instantly comes up when you find out that that's what the plan is. Don't start Googling for other churches and how they do membership. (laughs) Don't do that. Don't do that. 
draw upon your confidence in Jesus and put yourself out there. So I want to look at the fear of the disciples. I want to look at what would stop us from being this public today and think about what that could look like and the right moments, you know, knowing when Jesus calls us into those moments. But it is not optional. Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you on Judgment Day. That, that to me means that our salvation hinges upon our willingness to be public in our faith. Ours. So if we're not willing to speak up for Jesus, then how do we know we love him more than anything? And if we don't love him more than anything, then when we get to see him face to face, is he going to say, you loved other things more than me? You are not mine. That should be terrifying, but also like a call to arms because we do love Jesus. This doesn't make me feel like, well, I don't. It makes me feel like, okay, I really need to live it and push for it because I don't want to reject it. I don't want to let it go. So then it's going to mean that we're called to do even more with it than we ever have before. But, but think about it. If the people that we're public around, if their salvation hinges upon us sharing with them, because how can someone believe if they don't hear and how can they hear unless someone doesn't speak, then actually our comfort zone, maybe the thing that stands between us and eternal life, as well as everyone we know and eternal life. And if I could tell you there was one thing, it's like this, this book, this piece of paper, there was one object that was keeping you from heaven and everyone else from heaven, you'd be like, well, let's get rid of that thing. But when it's the comfort zone, it's a scary thing to get rid of. So we can acknowledge that. There's fears involved here. But what's greater? Our fears or Jesus' commands? This is a sermon about obedience above all. We're just called to do it. We're just called to speak the name of Jesus everywhere we go and to proclaim it and to praise him in public. And that's what the disciples did here. So really, this is not an optional sort of thing. If we think about Paul um, in Romans 1, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Right? This is what Paul says. What if we... These were our words. Could we write this letter to a church the way he wrote it to a church in Rome? I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That's bold. We need to grow towards that. We need to grow in our boldness, recognize these things that will keep us. And I think as we read through Luke's account one more time, look at some things, and then Matthew has an account of the triumphal entry. We're going to look at that and see some differences. We're going to learn from them. Um, but then recognize what are the things that stop us from this? And I'm saying nothing should stop us from this. And this is a sermon as much to me as it is to any of us, because we all have our comfort zones. Some of them have different boundaries. Some comfort zone is about one inch around us in all directions. Some people's comfort zone is, you know, a mile. I'm saying wherever that boundary is, just be willing to walk across that line when Jesus says, shout my name, praise my name. That's what this is about. So let's read it again. Let's look into Luke 19 and um, see the triumphal entry. In this day, Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. He's coming in to atone for the sins of everyone. He's prophesying what will happen, speaking on behalf of God, and he's riding in as a king. Those are the three main roles we see of Jesus in Scripture, in the New Testament. All three are happening on this day. It's a convergence of all of his roles. Um, 
So we have him coming into his prophetic part of his um, role, his ministry, his service to all of us. And it says that he prophesied to the disciples as they got near to Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Uh, he said, go ahead and in the village you will find a colt that no one has ever yet sat on, untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord, there's the key, the Lord has need of it. So they went away and we know how this goes. So this sort of feels like logical. But for them, put yourself in their position. Go into a town, you're going to find this, someone's going to ask this exact question, answer it this exact way, and then come back. And like, I, I guess, and they're walking it, it's, it's there. And then someone asked, asked the question, they said they're going to ask, and they answered, like, it's just an amazing moment. He just prophesied and predicted what would happen a few minutes down the road. And it happened exactly the way he said, this is Jesus, he is Lord. We're seeing it unfold. He's proving it by these things happen. Notice here that the disciples did not let their comfort zone, did not let their fears stop them. What did they do? They immediately went. You gotta see this, the disciples just go. They don't ask too many questions. They don't even have the answers. They're just going. They're willing to do whatever Jesus called him. Why? Because he's Lord. He's in charge. Lord means he is in charge. So for all of us, Jesus has to be in charge of our lives at every level. And when he says something, we just do it. If we don't like it, we do it anyway. If we love it, we gratefully do it. But, but it's not an optional thing. He's Lord. He's King. All right, so we progress through this. <clears throat> they bring it to Jesus. They throw their colts, uh, cloaks on the ground. He rides in. And if you notice... Um, Verse 36, as he rode along, they, meaning the disciples, because this account, Luke's account, focuses on the disciples, what they did, what they thought, how they felt. That's the perspective here. So they, the disciples, spread their cloaks on the road. Now, as he was drawing near already on the way to Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God. So this is a celebration. This is a parade. This is a party. This is joyful. And what did they praise? They praised with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. I imagine them each having seen different mighty works. Like, I saw someone be healed. I saw someone come back from the dead. I used to not be able to see, but now I can see. They're praising for the mighty works they had seen. So the whole crowd of them is shouting out different things. He knew me when no one knew me. He saved me. He healed me. He teaches like no one ever teaches, like proclaiming what they'd seen, not just repeating the mantra, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the king who comes. It's not that. What they're praising God for is what they saw. And this, in my mind, is the key to anything public. Don't recite something. Don't give someone a formulaic quote. Don't know step one, step two, step three of the evangelistic campaign. Like that can all be ancillary. But what we have to offer is what we have experienced. Just the wonderful things he's done in our lives. This past Monday I had a great experience. Bob and I um, were going to meet at the center with a few others and we were going to load the drywall into the building. And uh, that's what Howard and his friend are installing right now. So we got there and then the delivery never came. And we're like, why? But we could see, looking back, why God had that happen. Because Bob happened to bump into a friend, Jerry, who I got a chance to meet, who's a believer, wonderful believer. We sat for an hour and a half and just talked about all the amazing stuff we've seen God do. 
that was more worship than I possibly could have imagined. I thought we were carrying drywall. We went to like a church service of three. And it was so joyful. And it was just stories. And he's like, this happened to me one time. I was driving and I had a vision. And this happened. This happened to my daughter. And then Bob's like, yeah, this happened to me. And then I prayed. And then this happened. And I'm like, oh, I saw something. We, like we were the disciples in that moment. We're just merely reciting back the great stuff we've seen God do. So we didn't finish every sentence with, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But we kind of did. No one else could have done those things that we shared. He talked about not being able to get into school for his trade and then the school like moving down the block from him and he had no way to get there. Now he could walk to school. This is Jerry's story. And uh, they had all these like openings and there was only one left and then he got that one. So what he thought was a closed door became like perfectly aligned. God, and it was based on him praying and then just all that stuff happened. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God. That's what their testimony is. And this is what the disciples did. Now, I never knew this till this week. So you know, I've been studying the Bible every week as a pastor here for 16 years and read it so much and studied and sat under preaching ever since I was born. I never knew this. But if you want to make a note, in 2 Kings 9.13, there's a moment where Elisha goes to anoint Jehu, who's the military commander at that time to um, be the next king of Israel. And so in this anointing, it's secret. They go into the inner room and Elisha anoints him and he's king and it's sort of in God's eyes and then God will fulfill that over the next you know, period of time. Well, they come back out and all the other military commanders are like, what did he say to you? What did he say? What did Elisha say? What did he say? And he says, I don't want to tell you. Like, no, you must tell us. What? And so they pressure him into revealing and he says, he anointed me the next king. And in 2 Kings 9.13, um, it says, When they found out that Elisha had anointed him to be the next king of Israel, they threw their cloaks down on the steps in front of him as he walked, and they called out, Jehu is king. So think about this historical Jewish heritage that Jesus comes from. Think about the fact that we're so far removed from it, we don't even understand the symbolism sometimes of what's happening in that moment. But put yourself in that moment, and them thinking back to Jehu, them thinking back to the king anointed by God to come and save Israel. And that was their expression. This is like a tradition. It's a symbolic moment. They didn't just make it up off the cuff. They like inaugurated something that had been foreshadowed in smaller ways so far before. Now Jesus is king, not just Jehu. So I loved that. A commentary pointed that out to me and cross-referenced me back there. That, that's why you want to look through your Bible as you're studying things, because God's been working his plan for so long and in such beautiful complexity that there's all these little hints and foreshadowings and tie-ins, and you can never exhaust them all, but they show that nothing happens in isolation. God has been working and is working and still will be working. We'll continue to work. And um, we're just little pieces of the puzzle. And you get to see some of the bigger things of how he works for all time. Ah, that just blows my mind. So just an aside, but the disciples were called out by Jesus to go ahead of him. And before we read Matthew's account, which focuses on how the crowds reacted, I would just point out this one more thing. Jesus said, let's enter into Jerusalem. So their obedience was going public. But he didn't tell them exactly how to do it. Right? His instructions don't include throw out your cloaks and your palm branches. That was their spontaneous act of worship. The only command that Jesus gave was just go and proclaim me. And I think that this is a beautiful parallel 
to us. Because Jesus just says, go and proclaim me. But I think he wants it to be a beautiful, joyful act of self-expression on all of our parts that will look different depending on who we are. We don't all have to do this public proclamation the same way. And public can be different for different people. But how will you express your love for Jesus? The obedience part is you have to publicly express your faith that Jesus is Lord. How will you do it? This week, if you experiment with this, if you're willing to step past that comfort zone. I asked someone earlier this week, like, how would you do it? And they said, well, I don't know. I might post something on social media just saying I love Jesus. Okay. That's a version of that. That's wonderful. For me, I felt like in that conversation, I, I want to think of the contractors that I'll be talking to this week. We, we always talk about church a little bit, but can I specifically talk about Jesus? I think I'd like to do that more. Right, so that, that'll be some sort of self-expression based on who I am, who you are. And I encourage you to be creative. I encourage you to be bold, but the obedience is not in the how, it's in the what. Do it. How? Let the Holy Spirit give you some wisdom as you go. Flip over to Matthew 21, and let's read, actually back, I guess, to Matthew 21. Let's read the account that he has of the triumphal entry. And like I said, this is kind of from the crowd's perspective, or at least it brings a lot more of the crowd's interaction into, uh, into focus. So I'll just read this. This is verses 1 through 11. Matthew writes, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent ahead two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied with a colt with her. So there's a little more information. Here's a donkey and a colt. And last one we just heard colts, so evidently there were two together. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Now this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. That's Zechariah 9, if you ever wanted to go back to it. Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Now most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. This is interesting. This is a progression we saw from Luke, the disciples started putting their cloaks on the road. Now it says most of the crowd is joined in. This is the original viral message. This is spreading the only way things could back then. You see something happen, you join in, and it spreads in that moment. It does not say disciples here. This is what happens after the disciples did that. They put their cloaks and began. And now, verse 8, most of the crowd, the word is spreading put their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Matthew just gives us more details. Now the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna, which means save us or help us, Lord, save us. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Save us. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? <clears throat> and the crowds answered, 
This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So we have the disciples setting the tone. And this does happen sometimes when we live our lives out joyfully and boldly. It's, it's contagious in a good way. People get excited and they rally around. And that's what we're seeing here. And when we lay down our lives in certain ways, if these cloaks are kind of like a metaphor of something bigger, we, we, we give something up for the Lord. People are inclined to say, well, that seems good. That's noble. Everybody admires someone who has like self-discipline where they just don't want to do it themselves. But sometimes it's like, no, that, that's a better way of living. That's a good thing to throw down. And they do. Right? But what do the crowds cry? Save us. <laughs> what do the disciples cry? He saved me. Right there, you see the distinction between what's happening around them, what's happening in them. We're called to say, he saved me. And all those people that want to be saved will say, praise God, someone's going to save me. That's beautiful. And it's contagious. It is viral. It is the original kind of like expression of this thing we talk about now all the time, viral messaging. They saw something that they wanted. And it's because the disciples went public. So because of that public moment, all these crowds had an opportunity. So they started throwing their cloaks down before the Lord. They started saying, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And when people start answering, the words get now. Now the crowds are, are echoing it to the people. It's the prophet. It's Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. That's the way God wants it. That, that's how the whole New Testament kind of plays out. The whole church is born out of people speaking what God has done for them. So others who want God to do for them can say, Hosanna, save us. And then when he does, they pass it on to the next person. It's word of mouth, eyewitness accounts, experiences of what God has done in their lives. And it's contagious. And it's beautiful. And it's God's plan. And it was his plan for this moment. But if you were to think back in our day and age to the last, like, you know, just even go back several months and think, like, what have been the most viral messages? What's the most, you know, viral video that's gotten passed around or something? Don't we recognize that those things are like, exciting, exciting, gone. Poof. Viral isn't lasting. It can't. No one can sustain that sort of intensity and that, that mass spread of something. And pretty quickly, it becomes old news. Pretty quickly, it's just gone. So how many viral things have there been in the last year? Do we remember any of them? Maybe we can remember one or two. It's probably been a thousand. That's how this works. So we see that in the crowds here, too. And again, this is part of God's plan. You spread the word widely. Many will get excited at first. Does it sound like the parable of the sower and the seed? We scatter all the seed and some grow up with great joy. And then when things get tough, they're like, it's not for me. But in that many, there are some that it did mean something to and they will never be the same. And there's no way to get to the final few without still first casting the seed to the many who are fickle, who are just excitable who get wrapped up in someone else's excitement and then a little bit later it's like, eh, it didn't really do anything for me. And then we move on to the next exciting thing. But in that process, the faithful are discovered. They're uncovered. They're revealed. It's called the elect because God knows in advance and has chosen all these who will be his own. And so there's this process. The word goes out, everyone hears it, and then some fall away. But the faithful were like rooted in that moment. And they continue to grow and they bear fruit. And then it goes and casts wide seed, but many of it dies off, but some of it doesn't. And so the obedience of the disciples to just creatively express their love for God led to this mass excitement. But it's not mass conversion. 
You recognize that? And all these people are saved. There's no record of any baptisms happening here. They're not even saying, look what God did for me. They're saying, please, God, do this for me. Hosanna. It's a begging term. Save us. And whatever the crowd thought, there's so many people, I'm sure, thinking so many different things. Save us from Rome. Save us from our illness. Save us from our fears. Save us. Or send us the Messiah. Turn with me just a couple of chapters later, and you know this part of the story as well, but in Matthew 27, you see the fickle crowds, right? Them same crowds, same week, same people. Now in front of Pilate, they went from Hosanna to crucify. Oh, we don't want to be that. We don't want to be the ones that are fickle. We want to be faithful. We want to be the faithful ones. We want to be those few seeds that are rooted, and when things get tough, we stay, but we know even the disciples didn't hang in in this moment. Oh, we, we need to pray for courage to hang in when we get tested. And if we fall away, to come back. So Matthew 27, um, verse 15, is a place to start. It says, Now at the feast, Passover feast, the governor, the Roman governor over the Israelite kind of subculture in that region, the one who's in charge, he was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. Someone gets amnesty on Passover every year in this time. So they had a notorious prisoner then called Barabbas. When they had gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ, which means the anointed one, which means the Messiah. For he knew that it was out of envy that they, the religious leaders, had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, Pilate's wife had sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man. I've suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd. Doesn't this sound like crowds? They get like worked up into stuff. So they got worked up into excitement. Now they're getting manipulated and worked up into fear. We've seen this, like the whole COVID thing over the last years has been whipping people up into fear over this or whipping people up into excitement. It's very much a reality. This is how humans act when you put them into a place and then emotions, good or fearful, take over. It's contagious. Fear and joy are both contagious. So this is the negative side of it. And those who are in charge are manipulating, they're pushing this fear into the poor crowds. The poor crowds, they're, they're being used, they're being played being manipulated. So verse 20, yeah, verse 20. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. So the governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and he washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people there answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Man, they got whipped into such a frenzy. They were willing to curse themselves and their children. His blood be on us and our children. Then he released for them Barabbas. And having Jesus scourged, he delivered him up to be crucified. I think this is what happens also. Just in the same way that faith is exciting and when we live ours out boldly, it's contagious. Uh, so also fear and pressure and manipulation are contagious. 
And those just as easily knock people down from their excitement about Jesus as our love for him builds people up into it. So when I look at these passages, I see that there's like three levels of obstacles. See, three calm comfort zones. <laughs> the first one is just the fear of the disciples. If they had been too nervous to walk down a main street surrounded by thousands of people there for the festival, if that had been too much to ask for them, none of this would have happened. You know, it would have had to be the stones crying out. So their own obedience. And I want to just challenge us. Be obedient in this this week. I'm not mandating as a person playing the Holy Spirit to you. You must do this or it should look like this. But I'm sharing with you. Jesus says, do this. Go into all the world and make disciples. Teaching them everything that I have commanded you. So it's just a command from Jesus. It's not optional. So do that this week. Even if you do it very regularly, think this week specifically, Easter week, about proclaiming Jesus, speaking Jesus' name. So they were willing to push through that. They made it through that. Some of us won't. God has grace. He's patient with us. Please pray that you would be able to push past awkwardness, social awkwardness, push past peer pressure, push past that, because there's more and there's good on the other side of it. It's worth it to push through that stuff. But the second obstacle is excitement. There were so many people that got stuck at the excitement thing and didn't realize, oh, Jesus wants to be Lord. He doesn't want us to just get excited about Jesus. It's going to cost me something. It's going to cost me some of my ambitions. It's going to cost me some of my relationships. It's going to cost me some of my time and my money and my effort. It's going to cost me some of who I am so that I can become like him. If he's really going to be Lord, it means he's in charge. And that's not always exciting, but it's good and it's better. So if we'll get past the idea and if the crowds can get past the idea that Jesus is just there to make everything better and it's so exciting, everything's wonderful... We have any Christians here who can say amen to the fact that following Jesus is sometimes hard? Any amens? I say amen to that, but it's good. I think it's better to do the good thing even when it's hard. And so I have moved past in my own walk with the Lord just excitement. Even though there's exciting moments, I, just, I want to be in it. I'm in it for the long haul. And so maybe many of us here have kind of survived that second barrier. But if we're willing to go past excitement, to be excited but get past that, then Pilate here represents the testing. You're going to be tested in your faith. People are going to make it hard for you to maintain your faith, hard for you to practice your faith. Some of our own family members will make it hard on us to practice our faith. There'll be pressure. There'll be mocking. There will be alienation. There will be people who, when you enter the room, they start like changing the conversation because they recognize, like, oh, I shouldn't be talking about that in front of them. You become like an outsider. In your own family. It happens in social circles. It happens in work. Like, these things will happen. And so for some of us, that's like too tough of a barrier to feel like it's you versus the world all the time, that everyone is just different than you. But if you can push past that, there's like heaven on the other side. It's worth it to be alienated here in this world to be united with Jesus for eternity. So we sort of like take it, but not everybody can take it. And so sometimes they get to that third obstacle and okay, they were obedient, they tried something that was exciting and that waned or somehow that balloon got popped and now they're trying to be faithful, but now it's just too hard to follow Jesus. But he says, I still want to be Lord. I want to be Lord and tell you what to do. 
Everything that Jesus says we should just do. That's it. That's what a Lord is. That's what a king is. It's not optional. It's not a democracy. It's not a republic. He's perfectly all-knowing and he knows best. And he says, do this. And then we say, okay. So that's how you run your money. That's how you run your relationships. That's how we manage our sexuality. That's how we interpret our thoughts and our feelings and our philosophies. That's how we adapt our worldviews. It's all through the lens of Jesus. And he's never going to stop asking for that. That's always the requirement. So if we get to the point where we're willing to obey, and then it stops being exciting and we're still going, but then it, it's, it's fearful and there's pressure and there's real obstacles. You may lose your job. You may lose friends. You may lose family. And Jesus is like, well, I was willing to give all that up, and I call you to do the same. So push through that too. And then if we do, there's like heaven on the other side. There's the resurrection. There's the empty tomb. But it takes that, and that's a real test of our faith. And not everyone makes it through all of those levels. But we see them right here, those three stages and the disciples, even though they fall away, this is our greatest comfort. All of them fell away and yet all of them are restored. So it's even okay to fail in this, <laughs> to crumple under the pressure. And then the next day you wake up and you're like, I don't want to be the kind of person that crumples anymore. Please forgive me of that. And Jesus restores and he says, okay, let's try it again. Those of us who our faith stopped being exciting, it stopped being exciting to go to church, it stopped being exciting to read our Bible, it stopped being inspiring to pray, and so we didn't push through that. Well, maybe we exercise obedience and see that beyond even excitement, there's something good and valuable and redeeming and transformative that happens when we worship, when we pray, when we fellowship, the things He calls us to do. And if we'll push through those things, we'll experience the same sort of up and down that Christ did, but it'll end up. It'll end on the up because he rose from the dead, which is next Sunday, which I can't wait for. My favorite week of the year, my favorite day of the year, Easter Sunday morning. It's the up. It's the final permanent guaranteed promised up at the end of the many ups and downs. So be patient with yourself for the downs, but don't stay down. Don't leave. Don't quit. Just keep pushing forward like the disciples did. You know, after he was crucified, they gathered and they prayed and they mourned. We can do that. We can gather and pray with each other when we fail. Like, oh, that was the worst. I bombed that. I lost that. I Okay. That's what Jesus died for. To restore and reconcile. This is the Easter story and we get to experience it. Each and every day of our lives in the struggles and the successes that we, we experience. In just a minute, I'm going to have us kind of huddle up and talk about this. Talk about the things that are hard about being public in our faith. Talk about some of the things that come easy. Maybe some of the things that God has done. Ask each other, like, what would you share? If you're going to proclaim God's works, his mighty works in your life. But where I want to kind of put a bow on the end of this, a period at the end of this sentence, is that whatever you believe in, you should really be confident in it. So if you put your trust in Jesus, be confident enough in it to live that way. Because if you're not confident enough to live that way, then you might not fully have your trust in Jesus. This is one of those defining moments as well. If you're not willing to be public, then it's possible that fear and other things are more important to us than our love for Jesus. In which case, then, are we ashamed of him? In which case, are we truly saved? This is like a little test for us between us and Jesus who loves us very much. Because we want to see how we are when we're in that moment. Will we say it? Will we be public? What will our message be? 
But if it's too much for any of us, if we can't do it, then just don't say Jesus is Lord. Because if we're not willing to act that way, then he's not really. Because he's saying, go and make disciples. Go and spread the good news of the kingdom. And if we can't do it, then just say, I guess Jesus is not Lord. So then you're probably Lord. So just live with confidence. You've got it under control. It, it's you. So you can do it. Just work hard and do your best. And you're in charge. But you have to kind of commit either way. So let this be like a gentle test from a gentle savior who says, follow me. And if we can't do it, like, why is this so hard? Do I really love him that much? Maybe I've just gone to church my whole life. Is he Lord? It's like a whole other thing. Church attendance versus lordship. It's a whole other thing. I could never go to church again and I would still feel bound under the lordship of Christ. But some people go to church their whole lives and then don't feel bound to the Lordship of Christ at all. They do whatever they want. They're like, yeah, Jesus died for my sins. I'm good. Get out of jail free card. That's not Lordship. <laughs> That's not even grace. That's like some weird twisted version of grace where we sin and then Jesus just says, oh, it's fine. That's not the message. So be thinking about your message to the world. If it's not Jesus, it's going to be something else, most likely you. And if you want to proclaim yourself to the world, then just keep talking about how awesome you are. Keep talking about your plans. Keep talking about how you've got it all under control. Keep talking about how great you are. Like, you'll just see where that ends. One day you're going to see Jesus face to face. And he's going to be like, yeah, you weren't actually anointed. Sorry, Andy. It wasn't you. You weren't the king on the donkey. It was Jesus all along. And you're like, oh, I knew it. Um, so this is a moment of truth, almost. If there's anybody here that's had that kind of like, oh, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not sure that he's Lord. I'm not sure he's the most important thing in all parts of my life. This is a good Sunday also to find me afterwards or to find someone and just pray. Be like, I'm ready to push through that next level of commitment. And if not, then be honest with yourself. Like, Jesus is not my Lord. And if you're confident enough in saying that out loud, that feels risky to me even like mock say out loud. But if you're confident enough, then just say it. That's what you're staking your future on. I got this. A lot of people that feel that way. But don't middle it. This is not a middling week. It's not a middling topic. The crucifixion is not a middling gray area sort of thing. It's decisive. It's defining. And I think it's beautiful. I would love to see all of us rise and fall, but eventually end up because of what Jesus is doing in our lives and to be together as we struggle and as we succeed and to see Jesus working in our lives. Um, but you can't fake this kind of thing. Being public really forces you to own it. And I think that's a good thing. It's a good challenge. So let's take a few minutes. Think about what your message is. Think about the challenges. Maybe help each other. If you don't know how to do this, ask your group. Huddle up. Be like, I have no idea what I'm going to do this week. Awesome. That's a fine answer. You don't need to know today. But push the conversation forward. Let's be like the disciples this week and just go out there and proclaim he's Lord and then uh, see what he does with it. So take a few minutes and then we'll end with communion and worship.